You are listening to the audio podcast of the weekly message preached at Central United Methodist Church in Arlington, Virginia. You're invited to worship with us in person on Saturdays at 4.30 p.m. or virtually through Zoom or Facebook on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. Visit us at www.cumcballston.org. There you can learn more about our congregation and how we worship God, serve others, and embrace all. Exodus 20, verses 1 through 21, from the Common English Bible. Then God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You must have no other gods before me. Do not make an idol for yourself, no form whatsoever of anything in the sky above or on the earth below or in the waters under the earth. Do not bow down to them or worship them, because I, the Lord your God, am a passionate God. I punish children for their parents' sins, even to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. But I am loyal and gracious to the thousandth generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. Do not use the Lord your God's name as if it were of no significance. The Lord won't forgive anyone who uses his name that way. Remember the Sabbath day and treat it as holy. Six days you may work and do all your tasks, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Do not do any work on it, not you, your sons or daughters, your male or female servants, your animals, or the immigrant who is living with you. Because the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and everything that is in them in six days, but rested on the seventh day. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother so that your life will be long on the fruitile land that the Lord your God is giving you. Do not kill. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not testify falsely against your neighbor. Do not desire and try to take your neighbor's house. Do not desire and try to take your neighbor's wife, male or female servant, ox, donkey, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. When all the people witnessed the thunder and lightning, the sound of the horn and the mountain smoking, the people shook with fear and stood at a distance. They said to Moses, You speak to us and we'll listen, but don't let God speak to us or we'll die. Moses said to the people, Don't be afraid, because God has come only to test you and to make sure you are always in awe of God so that you don't sin. The people stood at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness in which God was present. Matthew 22, verses 34 through 40. When the Pharisees heard that Jesus had left the Sadducees speechless, they met together. One of them, a legal expert, tested him. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? He replied, 
You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your being, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. You must love your neighbor as you love yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Pray with me. Gracious God, cleanse my heart, my lips, and my mind as you cleanse the lips of your prophet Isaiah with the burning coal, that I may preach your word and not mine, and that your people will hear the good news in spite of my failings. Amen. Something happened on Sinai. Something momentous, something for the first time in history. For the first time in history, a nation was created based on ethical principles claimed from a single overarching divine entity. The, the law of Sinai, the Ten Commandments that we heard, and the rest of the law, comes just a few days after the Hebrew people escaped from Egypt. After the people escaped, God's immediate problem was, was how to create a free people out of a people who'd been enslaved. He started that solution with Moses. Recall, Moses had never lived the life of a slave. That gave him a certain presence. But it couldn't just end there with one person. There needed to be more. That something more was a law. One of the uh, students of the Old Testament put it this way. Perhaps for the first time in history, a real elevation to a new and unfamiliar ground in the function of a community took place. A formation based on common obligations rather than common interests on ethic rather than covetousness. What happened was, was a diverse group of people who were made up of tribes who had their own self-interests. Remember, before Sinai, there were no commandments. Who had been ruled by power, whose only law was the law of power, was given something new. It was a law that forged people into freedom. It created a society, and it ensured through the commandments that this new form society would be something different, would be pure, would be God's people. Now, we know the Ten Commandments. There were actually 613. They're called mitzvahs. You know one of them, I'm quite sure. It is the commandment that when a young man and a young woman comes to a certain age, they go and become an adult religiously. We call that the bar mitzvah or the bat mitzvah. There were 612 others. There were 248 that commanded 
us to do something, the Jewish people, and there were 365 that said you shouldn't do something. We in Christianity take the 10 forward. I would think that we have, many of us, myself included, enough difficulty keeping 10, never mind 613. But those 10 commandments are wonderfully designed to make a community. The first commandments are relation to God. Another group of commandments, most of them, are relationship to each other. And they are linked by this wonderful commandment to honor our parents. Not love them, but honor them. And, and that one is unique because with it comes a promise. Honor your father and your mother so that your days may be long in the land and the Lord your God is giving you. Now, how you divide up your Ten Commandments kind of depends on how you were raised. In some traditions, the fourth commandment is the one to honor your mother and father. In other traditions, it's the fifth commandment. But the numbering doesn't matter. What matters is that they became a path to freedom. In each, in the Hebrew, each commandment that you shall is addressed to the second person singular. It's to the individual. It's to each one of us. Walking together in the wilderness, there's no one to tell you how to act or what to do. Some of you may remember the Mad Max movies or the other dystopian movies of what happens when there's no law. The law of the powerful rules instead. Now, as a people with a moral code, these people could move from slavery into a freedom. And they would do so based on a divine power rather than human power. With the Ten Commandments and the other 603, people who were weak and had no power would be protected. And there's a great deal of comfort in having specific, clear commands. You, you know what's expected of you. But there's some problems. And the first problem is that the specific provisions of what is holy and what is not can tee up a, a sense of, of pride. I kept all the commandments from my birth. Remember the young rich man responding to Jesus. You might also recall the Pharisees who were so adept at demonstrating that they would keep the law and questioning those, Jesus and the apostles, for not keeping the law, for working on the Sabbath, that is healing, for picking grain on the Sabbath, that's as they ate, as they walked through the fields. And there is also a problem with having commandments that rigidly lay out as the Ten Commandments do. It, it, the famous dictum, the law in its majestic equality forbids rich and poor alike to sleep under bridges, to beg in the streets, or to steal their bread. Laws laid out with this sort of specificity can wind up being tools for the powerful. The second problem is that laid out as they are, these commandments can tee up 
a way of thinking to avoid breaking them? Jesus scores the Pharisees for this very thing. In Mark, he excoriates the Pharisees for creating a fiction that allows them not to honor their mother and father, but rather to leave their parents in poverty. And in my own experience, in the tradition that I grew up in, I remember spending a lot of time figuring out how I could tell the priest that I really hadn't committed a sin. Now comes the two great commandments. Our second reading, Jesus' famous answer to that, what is the greatest commandment? Teacher, which commandment is the law in the law is the greatest? By the way, this isn't really a test. What's going on here is that Jesus is treated with respect. He is asked a question as a rabbi would be asked. Those sort of questions, indeed the question, what is the greatest commandment, was a frequent topic of conversation among the rabbis and was an, more than an exercise, but a way of, of demonstrating one's own knowledge and sharing that knowledge. So a good way to look at this is that Jesus is being treated with respect. He is being asked a question that is asked of other rabbis. And the answer, he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So does Jesus help us here? The first thing to notice, there's no shalt nots. Jesus' teaching is entirely a positive law. It's taking us from a no to a yes. It's telling us what we can do, not what we shouldn't do. And the second thing to notice is that Jesus is not treading any new ground here. He's quoting scripture. He quotes from Deuteronomy, a part, a very special prayer called the Shema, which every Orthodox Jew recites every morning. Hear, O Israel, in Hebrew, Shema. The Lord is our God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Keep these words that I'm commanding you today in your heart. And Jesus is also quoting from Leviticus. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against any of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So he's not particularly original in his answer here. As a matter of fact, a similar answer was given in a similar circumstances by a respected rabbi, Hillel, about 150 or 200 years earlier. And that same answer would be given about 50 or 60 years later by another renowned rabbi, Akiva. Indeed, in one of the stories we have from the Gospel, that in Luke, it is the questioner who gives the answer. So this was not a surprise. But it's really, really important commandments. The originality from Jesus comes in what follows, in telling the people what is their neighbor. Recall at Sinai, the Hebrew people were given a freedom 
not only in how they should act to one another, but how they should act with the surrounding people, and that is to keep separate from them. Many of those 613 mitzvahs are rules and commandments to keep them separate from other people. The law in Sinai was directed to the people of Hebrew treating themselves. To, to be sure, the non-Hebrews were included in the commandments as well, but only those who were within the Hebrew community. Now, with Jesus, we have the neighbor being someone who's outside of the Hebrew community. This is really shattering. It's a radical departure from the self-contained society of Sinai. Paul in Ephesians tells us just how separate and new this is. He, Jesus, has established the law with its commandments and ordinances, has I'm sorry, has abolished the law with its commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new humanity in place of the two, thus making peace, and might reconcile both groups to God in one body. The two groups being the Hebrew, the Israelites, and everyone else. Jesus reduced those two commandments to one. I give you a new commandment. Love one another as I have loved you. But there's a problem. I, I know what it is not to steal. But do I really know what it is to love? Being a Christian is really, really hard. We're given very simple directions to love God and to love one another, but these can be the two hardest things to do. The commandments of Sinai were moving a people from slavery to accountability, to be accountable each themselves to how they acted. The commandments of Jesus Christ to love frees us from the slavery of these egocentric passions. But we can only do what Jesus has told us to do if we're a free people. First, we are freed from the chains of sin, but we don't stop there. We need to act, to love as I have loved, says Jesus. Galatians puts it this way, bear one another's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Paul, in his letter to the Romans, gives us another way of doing this. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. It comes down to what's in our hearts. For the Hebrew people being freed from slavery, what could be in their hearts, even a heart of stone, was to obey the commandments. Do this, don't do that. For us, our heart has to be freed. We have to have a heart that knows what love is. In the Ten Commandments, love is only used in relation to God. In Jesus' new commandment, love is in relation to all of us. 
The prophet Ezekiel has given us that promise. I will, in the words of God, I will give them one heart and put a new spirit within them. I'll remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh, a human heart. We need to pray for the grace of that new heart and the freedom that comes with it to follow this new commandment of love. But with that, we become free. Amen.